Salo for Lava. This is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susanna Suiswiki. Coming up... We would love to be able to put these things to rest, clear the records. Fiji military rejects abuse allegations against a senior officer. Also, life returns to normal for Kili Island. And later on... Our new Miss Pacific Islands is... Seven contestants from across the region vie for the crown, sash and title. The Fijian military is standing by one of its senior officers facing allegations of human rights abuses. Colonel Benioni Naliba has been appointed Deputy Commander of the Australian Army's 7th Brigade. Now the Australian Defence Force is investigating following inquiries from the Australian newspaper about abuse allegations. Fiji's military assistant to the Chief of Defence, Lieutenant Colonel Eroni Dwimbe, says the Fijian military rejects the allegations and is backing Colonel Naliva. Well, the appointment has come about uh, after an uh, uh, agreement on both sides of the uh, uh, the uh, Australian Defence Force and the Republic of Fiji Military Force. It is uh, a, an outcome of the bilateral talks uh, that we have regularly uh, and also on an annual basis. Uh, so these are part of the the uh, many secondment positions uh, that is within the uh, uh, Australian Defence Force uh, for the Republic of Fiji Military Forces. We have uh, exchange of personnel. Uh, and this is just part of this exchange of personnel. Now, he's understood to be the right-hand man to, you know, Fiji's former coup leader and Prime Minister, Frank Bunimarama, and is alleged to have been involved in the violent beatings of two Fijian politicians. Are you aware of this, and is there some kind of investigation into some of the uh, human rights abuses and torture? Uh, first of all, let me state for the record that these uh, allegations uh, and much of these allegations has just come about uh, uh, through uh, social media platforms uh, in which uh, uh, disgruntled um, individuals have, uh, have have posted uh, these things. Um, there has not been any uh, formal report that has been lodged with the Fiji police in regards to this. Uh, and uh, we... Um, yeah, we stand by uh, Colonel Naliva uh, and he, on his appointment uh, within the 7th Brigade uh, of the uh, Australian Defence Force. Well, a UN report named Colonel Naliva. Uh, this was in a report to the Human Rights Council, and this was around his involvement in the savage beating of a Suva businessman that then left him unable to walk. So this is a United Nations report to the Human Rights Council. So what do you have to say to that? Um, to be frank, I, I have not viewed uh, any such reports. Um, I, I don't know whether it had... Um, it, honestly, it, it hasn't come past my way. Uh, so I would love to refrain uh, from commenting on that report uh, in regards to the allegations. Are these allegations being taken seriously? Are they a concern? Uh, well, we are concerned uh, of the allegations uh, as an institution. Uh, we uh, will uh, do uh, some internal 
uh, investigation or, or, or things of that nature uh, to be able to uh, substantiate uh, these, these claims. So are you investigating or will you investigate into this report? Uh, well, we, when these things surface, we actually initiate uh, some form of investigation, whether it's a board of inquiry uh, or a uh, just a straightforward uh, investigation. Um, but uh, yes, the, these things will trigger uh, some form of investigation. Uh, but otherwise, if, if these things are not substantiated, then uh, it will remain as allegations. So we would love to be able to uh, put these things to rest uh, and, and clear the records uh, uh, and put it put it straight. These are um, it's nothing to do uh, with the Australian government or the Australian army. The secondment it was purely based on merit and on the agreement of both uh, uh, militaries. So whatever that will transpire after this will be an internal matter for the Republic of Fiji military forces. Did you know Colonel Naliva? Uh, well, the did you know him personally? Uh, Republic of Fiji Military Forces is a small military of uh, 3,000 plus personnel. Uh, we, and, and as officers, we all know each other. So that's a yes? Yes. Yes. Okay. Talk to me about what he was like. I guess if you knew him, how did these allegations sit with you? This allegation had surfaced uh, through social media platforms and uh, we had been aware of, of, of these allegations uh, for quite a while, uh, but like I said, it was social media uh, on, on social media platforms, and it. Uh, I, I we really don't. Um, not not that we don't value, but we 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 try not to be uh, hoodwinked by these reports that come, these uh, allegations that come on social media platforms, unless and until somebody makes a a a, a formal complaint. Uh, then uh, perhaps we'll look into it. Considering they're making a formal complaint against a senior military officer, would they be taken seriously by the Fiji police? Well, that would be... Uh, it, it will be up to the Fiji police. Uh, uh, I do not determine uh, what they take seriously or what they don't take seriously. They have a, a work, a code of ethics that they abide to, uh, and... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I really can't comment on what the police uh, would do or would not do. We have processes that are in place. Uh, however, uh, this is something that we uh, we probably will only investigate if there's a, a formal complaint uh, that has been lodged. Uh, because once the, the uh, police are, are taking charge of an investigation, then uh, we stand clear. Of, of those things and and, uh, and allow the police to uh, continue to do their work. What is the culture like within the Fijian military? What is it like being an officer? Well, it's uh, similar to any other defence force around the world. Uh, you have the officers' corps and you have the uh, non-commissioned officers. Uh, so within the officers' corps, uh, there's a rich culture of... Uh, <clears throat> Of uh, of being a gentleman, uh, they usually say you are an officer and a gentleman, and that actually is true uh, in every sense uh, when it comes to the Republic of Fiji military force. Has there ever been a culture that allows Fijian officers within the military to beat 
or torture people? Have you ever witnessed behaviour that goes against the so-called gentleman culture? Well, uh, for for me on a personal level, I have not uh, encountered any of uh, such uh, actions. Much of of uh, my career, uh, I've witnessed the the gentleman side of things and uh, how men and women of the Republic of Fiji military forces carry themselves. And hand on heart, can you say the same for Mr Naliva? Is he a gentleman? Yes, of course. And you've never witnessed beatings or torture by Mr Naliva? Yes, I can say yes, with emphatic yes. And you would vouch for his character? I would definitely vouch for his character. Life has improved for the people living on Gili Island and the Marshall Islands following a state of emergency being called. Gili was without power and fuel because the previous local government administration bankrupted a trust fund that covered the island's expenses. The new administration, sworn in in December, called the state of emergency to free up money. They have since sent fuel, food and got the power station running again. Our indeed Pacific correspondents in the Marshall Islands, Giff Johnson, spoke with Caleb Fotheringham. Absolutely no question that there's been improvement because in the immediate aftermath of the declaration of emergency by newly installed President Hilda Heine, the government got organized on sending a delivery of fuel to Kili for the power plant, and also they sent some technicians down to Kili uh, power plant technicians to help check the plant because the power plant hasn't been operational for months and months, meaning except for maybe a few people, not many, who have personal generators, like little generators that they keep next to their house. There's been no power on the island for quite a number of months. That means no refrigeration, food spoiled, you know, things like that. So, I mean, life has been pretty, pretty bad for the last few months. So now I just talked to people at the Kili Bikini office here, and they confirmed that, yes, the power is back on, power plant's operational. Just having power on that island is a huge, huge step forward, uh, just people can kind of get back to a little bit of stabilized life. And combined with sending the fuel down a couple of weeks ago and getting the power plant going again, uh, a lot of food went down too. And because power is back on, that means people have freezer capabilities so they can throw, you know, boxes of frozen chicken or whatever into freezers and then they're good right, for weeks, like they got it and it's it's available. So uh, I think that's at least taken the edge off the immediate crisis. And long term, I mean, it's a, it's a really, uh, there's a lot of work that has to be done by the local government to get, get things stabilized. But I think the state of emergency has helped to just get that community a little bit back on its feet. Has the government indicated how long the state of emergency will be in place for? Normally, states of emergency are short-term. Usually, they're like 60 or 90 days. 
So I think the, the point of this state of emergency was just to free up some money. They got a, a $200,000 as a result of the state of emergency declaration. They got $200,000 to buy, you know, an immediate load of fuel to take down to, to so they could fire up the power plant again and to buy food. Uh, so that was kind of the thing. The, the point of the SOE state of emergency was simply to stabilize that community. I mean, that was the goal, like just get them back to a, a minimum of operation. You know, this is this is an island that's depended on this power plant for decades, right? And even though they sometimes do to like lack of funding, it, power will be rationed in that like power will be on maybe. 15 or 18 hours a day, and maybe they turn it off six or eight hours a day, like at nighttime or something, you know, and that's how it works. But, but they have power, they've had power, and now they've just come out of this extended month after month after month period of no power. So, just doing that is a huge stabilization effort. And and, uh, you know, good on the, the, the new government for just jumping to it. And making that happen, because uh, I think uh, there's there's kind of a an attitude towards islanders who are nuclear affected, especially the bikinians, because over time they've qualified for the most compensation from the United States, like the most compensation of the various islands that have received it. And so there's kind of a perception that you don't have to worry about the bikinians, like they have their trust funds and they have money and they're good, right? Well, this is just a totally changed dynamic and it required the national government to do something very unusual out here, which was to step in and help the bikinians, whereas basically they've been able to take care of themselves more or less using these U.S. trust funds uh, for decades. A Fiji lawyer who is from Rambi Island says in an announcement by the administrator that visitors to the island need to inform the police of their presence is nothing new. Jacob Lanyon says the administrator, Yakopa Karutake, is sitting in the place of the Council of Leaders and this requirement that visitors inform the authorities is a long-standing one. The Barnabin Human Rights Defenders Network claims their human rights are being violated by the policy announcement and wants the Fiji government to investigate. Mr Lanyon spoke with Don Wiseman, who began by asking whether the Council of Leaders should be reinstated. Absolutely, I agree with that. That is what the law says, and that should have been implemented as soon as the previous administrator's tenure was terminated. This was probably around two years back. So Mr Karutaki, he was appointed by the previous administration? No, he was appointed by this government. There was another administrator appointed by the previous government. So for these nine years, we've had no rugby council. There was a period of about two years where the, the previous one was appointed under the Bainimarama government. And when his service was terminated, the then government did not want to hold elections. Instead, it sent one of their admin offices to administer Rambi and to act by all means. Everything except by name, he was the administrator. But uh, yes, you, you're right, absolutely. We, we all want the Rabbi Council. But unfortunately, that is the call that only the Prime Minister of Fiji can make. All right, well, we've got this group called the Human Rights Defenders of Banaba. They have 
raised concerns because the administrator has put out a policy statement saying right. that people, visitors to the island, need to report to police and certainly implying that if he doesn't like them, they're not going to be welcome on Ramby. Is that appropriate? I think there's a misunderstanding on that. You must understand that the Barnabas Settlement Act, Section 8, as soon as the interim administrator is appointed, they assume the roles, responsibilities, and functions of the elected council. And one of the powers of the elected council is to initiate, to enact policies that affect the whole of Rambi. Rambi Island is a freehold island. There is a title on Rambi Island vested in the Rambi Council of Leaders. So it's basically the owner holding the island in trust. So when the Rambi Council of Leaders was terminated, the Act specifically states that upon the appointment of an interim ad- administrator, all the powers and responsibilities and functions and liabilities, they are vested into the hands of the administrator. Don, this policy of visitors uh, having to report to the and seeking permission from the Rabi Council is not a new policy. This has been the policy ever since my grandparents were young on, on the island, 1970s, 80s, 90s, even today. Even before this policy became news, everybody on the island, there's a local police. Uh, these are basically the police for the Rabi Council. And each visitor who comes, even during the termination of the Rabi Council for the last, what, nine years, all visitors to Rambi must report first to the local police. And Basically, what he's doing is that he's just publicizing age-old policies that the previous Rambi Council of Leaders have always held as effective on the island. Uh, this is uh, nothing new, and I'm, I'm really surprised that this is news to, to some Barnabans, when in fact this has been the policy all these years. All right. So when the Barnaban human rights defenders claim right. that uh, the human rights of people are being impacted, what's your response? There's uh, nothing in the media, Uh, no one has reported anything to the police, nothing in the courts, nothing in the stories, people are just going in and out. That's absolutely misleading. I just came back from Rambi two weeks ago, and I just called my my family in the island uh, last night. There's nothing going on whatsoever to, to imply that people's human rights are being abused. These are just ploys to gain attention. Seven beauty queens from across the region are in Nauru to compete for the Miss Pacific Islands crown. The prestigious pageant begins tonight with the introductions and talent category. Tomorrow evening will feature the sarong, traditional attire and stage interviews before the winner is announced. Tiana Haxton has been following the event online. For the first time, the Miss Pacific Islands pageant is being hosted in a Micronesian country since its inception in 1987. The people of Nauru have been very busy preparing for this historic occasion. The small island nation, which has a population of just over 12,000 people, has been buzzing with excitement in the lead-up to the event. The Minister of Tourism, the Honourable Charmaine Scotty, says the community is looking forward to seeing the seven competitors take to the stage tonight. Government and the people of Nauru have done a lot of work for this occasion. I'm sure that we'll all be part of this historic moment, especially Nauru being the first Micronesian country to host this pageant. The minister says the Pacifica-led beauty pageant inspires women across the region and promotes important cultural values. 
Phyllis Pacific has been instrumental in teaching our women the importance of advocating for women, you know, standing up for themselves and realizing that they are unique and beautiful people. The current Miss Pacific Islands title holder Josie Nicholas says she is proud of the contestants that have taken on the challenge of representing their countries in this year's pageant. The Papua New Guinea beauty queen expressed her best wishes to the seven women in a special press event earlier this week. We are proud to see island women coming on board, taking the courage to represent the people and we commend you for being on this platform. So teams, you have a lot of work cut out for you and we wish you all the best. The pageant's executive director, Ms. Pasivaini Pitaya Tevita, hopes to see more countries join next year. She says the pageant serves as a platform for the contestants to advocate on behalf of their respective countries. I can only see this event going further, bigger and better, and I hope that we will be able to take this event to a higher standard, make our Pacific issues and agenda heard widely. No doubt the next two nights will be full of nerves and excitement for the seven queens and their supporting teams. Close to 100,000 people are following the pageants online, eagerly awaiting for the final results to find out who will be crowned the next Miss Pacific Islands. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Spotify, Apple and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, till fast way forward.